AC, we are traveling way, way, way beyond Hammerland <laughs> into the realm of the Frightmare from 1974. Not the one from 1981 or 83 or whatever. This is this is a hardcore British countryside, I guess, thriller. And um, I, I got to admit, for the first half of the movie, I wondered why the hell are we watching this and talking about it? I did not like Frightmare. Um, and then something happened in the uh, middle of it. And I can't even say there was an inciting incident. Just something changed in my brain. And it became a movie that I'm going to own and revisit and cherish. This film is incredible. But before we get to that, why are we talking about Frightmare in Beyond Hammerland? Why are we talking about Frightmare in Beyond Hammerland? Uh, this is 1974. So Hammer is pretty much on its last legs at this point. Uh, we've had uh, Dracula AD 1972, and we've had uh, the Satanic Rites of Dracula in 73. And uh, yeah, the, the studio's pretty much running on fumes at this point. And Pete Walker, who is the writer, well, he wrote the story for this one. He's the producer, director, um, but he had created a couple of uh, other films prior to this. Uh, Die Screaming Marianne, The Flesh and Blood Show, and just prior to this in 1974 was The House of Whipcord, which also features our star Sheila Keith, who plays Dorothy. And uh, Pete Walker uh, had started off doing, you know, kind of uh, com like comedies, but also like, you know, uh, softcore sex films. And then he moved into what he called terror pictures, which he was explicit that they were terror pictures as opposed to horror pictures, because he saw what Hammer was doing as kind of the horror, the kind of fantasy, supernatural. And he was, as you can see by watching Frightmare, he was much more about kind of the, the here and the now and the down and the dirty. Um, his films are very much about kind of urban horror even though you get uh, your, your some of it takes place off in the cottage, off in the countryside, but it was very much much about uh, Britain, or specifically England, in the 1970s. And uh, his films, uh, several of which I just listed, but also uh, House of Mortal Sin and The Comeback, and uh, they they're all kind of of a of a type where you, you watch it and you go, that was mean and, and nasty. And, oh, it's Pete Walker. Okay, I get it. <laughs> so have you seen all these other films that you're- I have. I, I'm a big fan, if you hadn't tell, if you couldn't tell. I was, I'm a big fan of Pete Walker. Uh, him and uh, Norman J. Warren, who's another British director around the same time, although not nearly as successful or as, uh, his films aren't as well realized. But Norman J. Warren and Pete Walker were both kind of like the, the British bad boys of the 70s. And it's ironic that Pete Walker's career, like he, his last film was in 1980, 81, 82, somewhere around there, uh, The House of Long Shadows, which reunited horror stars, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Vincent Price, and threw in John Carradine as well. Um, so it was, and that one's kind of like an old dark house, you know, comedy with, you know, uh, some horror icons. We're going to talk about that next year, right? I sure hope so. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yep. Um, but you know, here's the thing: it's this movie has a great poster, um, and a, and a great <laughs> title. Yes, it does. And it's weird because I couldn't. I just kind of glanced at the poster when I first, you know, went to load up the movie on YouTube, and 
I thought it was, I don't know, it looked like an Ozzy Osbourne kind of a character, almost like this is going to be like a punk rock murder, like mm -hmm. fiesta or something. But no, it's a little old lady. Well, not so little, but um, Dorothy, as you mentioned, is a, is a psychopath who, along with her husband in the very beginning of the film, are committed to a mental institution for a series of, of horrible murders. Now, 15 years later, uh, they're two daughters one who was i guess their daughter and then the other was the daughter of the husband from a previous marriage these two daughters are now living together one is uh, <clears throat> 15 that's debbie and the other is uh, jackie who's uh, slightly older i don't know probably early 20s um and debbie is constantly running around town with the bad crowd getting into all sorts of trouble you know hanging out in bars um and the parents have been uh, recently released from the institution and Jackie knows about it and is kind of going to see them out in this remote cottage, you know, on the down low. Um, but there's a question of is mom back at it again? Cause it's mm -hmm. kind of established throughout the film that it wasn't so much that the, the dad was, um, you know, participating in these murders, but he was definitely aiding and abetting and, and covering up. It was mom that had like the Dorothy who had the real problem with the, with the drill. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And also it looks like maybe young Debbie has a propensity for violence, you know, possibly inherited from, from her mom. Uh, all of this comes about, I think really in the second half of the picture, I knowing now where it ends up, I have an appreciation for the build, but it is a long build. We start off in uh, like the, what was it? I don't know, 1957, I think. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's a black and white sequence at a carnival. A guy goes into, I guess, have his tarot cards read and he ends up, you know, dead against a wall. Then we cut to a trial and then we cut to modern day London and it's these two girls living together and one of them starts going out with a psychiatrist and then there's this old couple in the cottage and she's kind of batty and he's kind of doting, but, you know, concerned. I'm like, where is this all going? I And then I went back and I looked at the poster just to make sure that I <laughs> put on the right movie here. <laughs> where's the drill? Where's the where's the psychotic rock star? Right. Um, but in that second half, <clears throat> when things really start to unravel for all these characters, this movie comes alive uh, and is very cerebral and scary terrifying i would say to to use your uh description earlier than many movies that i've seen in this genre or frankly <laughs> any horror genre yeah i keep coming back to this one frightmare is probably my favorite of pete walker's efforts uh house of mortal sin is is pretty great and uh, house of whipcord is also really solid so like those three are really uh where i where i point people when i'm saying hey you should get some pete walker in your life as you say, yes, there is a pretty decent windup to it. Uh, I think, I mean, getting to know Jackie and the conflict between her and uh, her sister, uh, Debbie. Uh, I mean, Debbie, Debbie, our young 15-year-old, we can tell is just, you know, she's a troublemaker. Uh, she's, like you said, she's running with like a biker crowd and she gets a, a bar man beaten up for his troubles and then we find out that, you know, even worse occurred to him at her hand or foot. We're not sure what what <laughs> what transpired. But I think there's that weird, uh, that terror of youth that was certainly aware and alive in the 60s and 70s where 
you know, the kids were just running wild and you couldn't, couldn't control them. Uh, and they use their youth as a, a kind of badge against uh, harm because they kind of can just, well, you know, who would, who, who would do such a thing? No, certainly no child would do this. Right. And this is a couple years after, or three years after A Clockwork Orange, you know, there was the novel within the Kubrick film, obviously, which was X rated at the time and caused all sorts of consternation because that was, I mean, even though the actors were in their twenties, they were playing according to the the novel, you know, 15, 16 years old, if, if that. Um, so what we have in uh, Debbie is, you know, she's, she's a beautiful, you know, young teenage girl, who you'd think, oh, she's, you know, she has an ugliness inside of her that is not evident at all on the outside. Right. And that level of, you know, just nastiness and ultimate depravity, we keep seeing revealed more and more as the as the film goes along up until the stunning conclusion. And just to make sure I don't give anything too much away, <laughs> I'm going to put on the uh, on the old spoiler banner there. So you've been warned. Um, but yeah, there's uh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, but she's also very skilled at covering it up and putting on that 15 year old guys, like when she's talking to the police, um, you know, like or when she's talking to Graham, the the psychiatrist that uh, starts courting Jackie, you know, she knows how to she knows how to put on the 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 guys of a 15, an innocent 15 year old. And also, there's a parallel performance uh, in that regard, or aspect of that performance in Dorothy. Um, you know, the the dad and, and Debbie will be kind of dressing her down, and she's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so confused. And then they'll cut to kind of like a wry little smile that you're not sure if either one of them caught, but we certainly did. Right. Um, it's, and then she'll turn on the just the the viciousness. When she, she starts taking on customers, uh, tarot, <laughs> <laughs> like tarot card readings, yeah. and... It's it's very much like uh, like Julia and then the first Hellraiser movie, kind of going out to bars and picking up people just to feed Frank. Except in this case, Dorothy kind of has people come to the cottage when no one else is around, do their readings, and then she bludgeons them to death, stuffs them in under hay bales in the barn, and then goes out later to eventually chop them up with a drill. And then also later we find out she's eating them. I mean. I'm not kidding. This movie is just like this <laughs> crazy spiral of depravity that yeah. just gets like narrower and narrower as it goes on or gets wider and wider. And it's, I, I hate to use the word shocking because it seems so played out, but I was genuinely shocked by where this movie went. Yeah. You don't, you don't exactly, you don't think it's going to go there. And I certainly don't think, you know, you think it's going to go there in, in the seventies, in the, the wake of all the, you know, the Hammer films, we, we have a certain idea as to what British horror is at this point. And this is very much something different. Um, Tony Tenzer is our executive producer. We actually haven't mentioned him yet, even though we've seen several of his films already for this series. Um, he was the executive producer behind uh, Repulsion. Uh, he exec produced uh, Blood on Satan's Claw. He's also uh, responsible for Witchfinder General, which we'll be watching next month. So he's very much kind of key, a key player in the British horror scene from the late 60s forward. And I think that 
that this was make the the perfect trilogy. Now, I haven't seen Witchfinder General as you mentioned, but um, Frightmare, Blood and Satan's Claw, and Repulsion. I was thinking about all three of these movies. Hmm. Of course, I was thinking about Frightmare while I was watching it. But you have that with Blood on Satan's Claw. You've got the 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 kind of angelic blonde, you know, comely young lass of the countryside who is you know carrying around the devil um, you know, almost literally. Yep. Uh, and then in Repulsion, you've got the two sisters living together, and one and they're trying to figure out how to deal with an emerging uh, psychosis and how that manifests specifically in relation to the men in their lives. Yeah. And I'm also thinking about a recent conversation <clears throat> on Psycho 2 uh, that we mm. did on your channel uh, a couple of weeks ago. This, I, I came away feeling like this is what I wanted Psycho 2 to feel like. Okay. So that, that, that genuine familial <clears throat> connection, um, but also feel like I was dealing with real psychology. Uh, you know, we have a shrink in the movie who's kind of analyzing things. We even have the, the famous Psycho-esque scene of the... Was it a the detective? No, he wasn't a detective. He was like the head of the institute sitting down to talk to the shrink, saying, here's what exactly is happening with this main character in case those in the in the back seats haven't figured it out yet. But it was still it was still a fun scene. Yeah. I and I I mean I think the performances are all just really terrific. Uh the wonderfully named Kim Butcher plays uh <laughs> plays Debbie, and uh Deborah Fairfax plays Jackie. And our two headliners are Rupert Davies. Uh, this was his last film, but we had seen him. Uh, he's also in Witchfinder General. He's in uh, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave. Um, let's see, he's in Oblong Box. He's in uh, Crimson Cult. Like, like he'd, he'd certainly kind of generated a few genre credits toward the end of his career. But I think the shining star is Sheila Keith, who plays Dorothy. Uh, she had had a smaller role in House of Whipcord, uh, the same year and Pete Walker just kind of found a muse in her. And uh, she appears in several of his other films, including house of long shadows with, uh, with all the other horror icons. And by that point, you know, like, I'm like, yes, she belongs in that company. She's just that good. And, you know, it's been a while since I've been able to, to play the Friday the 13th card, <laughs> but uh, I've got two references in this movie. One is the, much better done here than it would be nine years later in Friday the 13th part three, uh, flaming hot poker, uh, in the chest or in the stomach scene. Yeah. Um, not only that, but it's not only just like a red hot poker, it's actually flaming on like fire. Flaming <laughs> yes. This being wielded by this, you know, by, by Dorothy, uh, into the gut of one of her tarot customers. And it's just, it's such that that moment of backing up. It is kind of funny because she says, you've locked the door. I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but being backed up with nowhere to go and this instrument of death coming towards you, which kind of calls to mind also the opening of uh, the first Friday the 13th, which oh, we sure. see more of in the last scene okay. where, spoiler alert again, uh, Jackie is backed up against a wall with uh, someone approaching her with you know a, a huge implement of her impending doom and literally no escape that you know that's a hell of a way to end the movie because being the modern movie goer that i am i was like okay this is where the dad is going to realize that his you know natural by blood young daughter is in true peril he's got to put a stop to his second wife and and their offspring because they're evil and he's seen his you know he's seen the light but no, he stands by and lets it happen, even as she's screaming, daddy, daddy. I mean, yep. wow. Yeah, it's it, 
David McGillivray is responsible for the screenplay and uh, watching it uh, recently, the idea, I mean, like all of it kind of works in a way that uh, the, the dad feels justified. You know, he says the line, you know, we both feel closer to Debbie. And that's because, you know, Jackie, with the best of intentions, has, you know, has revealed things to uh, her, psych- uh, her psychiatrist, Bo, has gone so far as to allow him to go to the cottage. And it makes it look really bad for her. It, like, it makes it look like she has been going around behind their back because she has. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, I, you know, our, our uh, Edmund, who played the dad, you know, like he is he's so in love with his wife, he would never do anything to harm her. And now he has a child who is willing to not only be part of that, but also willing to take it on for him. Like he doesn't have to do the covering up if if he if if uh, Sheila Keith's character has a compatriot, then he can kind of step back a little further. And I think there is a sense of he will not or she rather Debbie will not only be her partner in crime but a successor. Like he's he, his successor. She he'll she'll be the one to cover up for for mom in the future. And that's something Jackie was never ready or willing to do. I wonder if uh, George Lucas watched this movie as he was creating Star Wars and the concept of the the Sith. You know, there's always mm. one master, one apprentice. Um, probably not. But uh, although he did film Star Wars in England, so who knows? I was going to say uh, it was you know it was a few years earlier, so he might have had a few <laughs> a few moments to just go wandering around, watch a few flicks in in London. <laughs> but you know that um, just that that idea of. Jackie, uh, no, uh, of Debbie, not only having, uh, sharing her mother's kind of psychosis, but, well, let me ask you this. Do you think that there was some kind of an additional aspect of actual psychic ability in Dorothy? Because she's a tarot card reader and I couldn't, I couldn't quite remember all the information that had been passed around because there's a lot of dialogue in this movie between a lot of different groups at different, you know, uh, motives and perspectives. But when, uh, the, shrink comes to visit uh why am i blanking on his name graham 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 yes uh because he'd used a fake name but graham goes to visit he gets his cards read or he starts to and dorothy plays along for a bit but she very clearly feels like she's getting messages and then relaying those to him and saying like you're not who you think you are um he's like you're in the medical profession he's like no i uh went to (laughs) medical school once but uh, i'm not a doctor (laughs) right but it seemed like it didn't seem like she was playing with him. It seemed like she was, she was actually messages from the universe and then figuring out in her head, like, Oh, you're here to kill me. Or yeah, I actually wrote that down in my notes was, I was like, wait, she's actually like, you know, she can tell the future because when she's working with her other customers, it seems like she's kind of fishing going, do you have any family, any friends, any romantic to see if anybody will notice if right. they go missing. But that doesn't seem to be the case when she's dealing with Graham. It feels like she's actually picking up, signals and like oh you're in the medical profession and uh, you know what is your it's like oh that feels authentic it feels like you actually know a few things and maybe that's correct maybe she was an actual spiritualist when she was running around in 1957 at the the sideshow 
and and it also worked as a means for her to procure her victims. I do have a quick question for Dr. McGillivray, uh, who wrote the script, is how did she get the ad into the paper? Like, you know, like, I'm just kind of like, well, how did that transpire? She would have either had to call, mail something in, uh, actually oh, go to, there for in the person. Psychic, the psychic advert? To, to yeah. place the advert. I mean, that was the one thing I was like, huh, I wonder how that came to pass. And how, why Edmund never questions it. Like, oh, you have you have people coming out to see you. I, I see. Like, how did that happen? Well, it was established later on, at least I thought, I could be wrong here. Oh, that's true that, 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 uh, that Debbie's been Debbie around. Has been helping because yes. there are these other weird allusions to like the the fire poker murder. Um, there is like someone sees something off screen or hears right, something right, right. off screen as if like, oh, there's someone else in the room. And you're thinking, oh, that's probably Edmund. But then Edmund is coming home right. and, you know, right in the middle of this. So that might have been Debbie and, and no, she no, might that, have been that makes writing sense. the ads. Yeah. Yep. That that solves that. The other the other question I had was, you know, like, where's a 15 year old getting a, a a storage locker? But then it turns out that that seems like that's Jackie's, perhaps as well. I they they're never a hundred percent specific about that. Like they just go to where it is, um, you know, where the the body is stored, the the body of the barman. Right. Um. Because they well they found that in the in the trunk right in the car park. Right, which also I'm kind of like, how did Debbie get the body into a trunk and then into the storage unit? Like all of that kind of happens rather conveniently. But uh, again, who's going to split well, hairs when it's this entertaining? Well, I think I think it had been a couple of days at that point. So I mean, I don't know. She maybe she was able to drive. She could have figured that. Well, out. but she but she spirits that <laughs> the body of the barman away pretty quickly because the police come after the witness. You know, the witness sees uh, the the thugs beating on the guy. And so how, how that happened, I don't know. Well, what I'm thinking is she sticks around with the the still alive, injured body of the barman while her compatriots get on their bikes and like, we got to scram, the right. cops are coming. Right. And then she comes out and she's all bloody and everything. I think she got the body out of the way somehow. Mm-hmm moved it, you know, probably just out of the general area where the, the cops would have been looking and then maybe went back the next day with a car, put the yeah. body in the trunk and took it to the storage unit. My biggest thing, and they they fix it at the very end when Debbie's boyfriend goes snooping around that um, the barn and the cottage or whatever. Right. But there are so many people in this movie who encounter bodies that have been sitting for days and there's never like the revulsion of like, oh, that really smells. Right, right, They're, right. Like looking around, like, oh, that there's there's three bodies underneath all this hay. I noticed because I saw blood. Like, no, you you'd know. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that straw that just keeps it all. It keeps all the smell in. I don't know if you know this. You know, it's a very uh, common uh, trait of straw. <clears throat> and right. and that kids is called science. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, but I, yeah, I got such a, a kick out of this movie, not only because of what it was and how it unfolded, but I, I finished watching it this morning. I've been thinking about it all day. Some of these kind of questions that, that you're bringing up, but also what am I going to understand better when I go back and, and rewatch it? And I was kind of, I guess this shows how bad things have gotten in the almost 50 years since this has come out, but in the beginning, when Edmund and Dorothy are on trial and right. the judge is like throwing the book at him, almost literally saying, you've committed these 
so many of these heinous murders and it turns out they killed six people or she did. Right. I'm like, <laughs> six people. <laughs> Holy shit, come on, come on, amateur hour. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but no, um, so the I guess what how did this movie do? Because if this is if this is sort of like hammer as a genre kind of at the end of its of the at the end of its line, this is like an injection of a, a sort of hammer style, you know, uh, an evolution of the formula or whatever you want, want to call it. Did it work? I mean, it did. It, 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 it did. It, it made a, uh, it made quite a splash and it's, I think Pete Walker's most successful film to date. It's certainly his best known. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think it did, it did exactly what it was meant to do. And there's some fun kind of commentary about, you know, the societal decay. Um, like, and, and Walker has gone on record saying, you know, I wasn't trying to ever make a comment. I was just being a cheeky lad, you know, uh, trying to, trying to scare a few people. Uh, but you know, like this whole idea of the family as kind of this decaying unit and where they turn against each other and they cover up for each other and, you know, like there's, there's, it's not a great representation of, you know, like what, what relationships, what healthy relationships look like. Um, there's the, but you also get the sadness of Dorothy when she says, you know, they took my baby away from me. I mean, she must've been pregnant when they took her into the, the hospital because they almost immediately take uh, Debbie away and put her in an orphanage or a convent, depending on who's telling the story at the moment. And I feel like if Debbie has that bad seed kind of gene from mom, I feel like someone could make a frightmare prequel of what <laughs> she was up to at that, at that convent. For sure. Um, you know, it is interesting. Uh, I think it was, maybe it was during the, the psychiatrist backstory exposition dump where we find out about Dorothy's history mm -hmm. and kind of explaining, you know, her cannibalism. She was a child of the great depression and she had, rap uh, pet rabbit or rabbits and her family had to eat them because they were so poor i'm like that's you know twisted and it doesn't excuse anything that she did right. but it's one of those origin stories where you're like wow that's born out of genuine tragedy not like oh my little boy drowned in a lake or i got set on fire because i was molesting kids aka freddy krueger <laughs> um just just want to throw that out there i'm not talking about anybody i know um <laughs> but uh it's it's just it's a there's so much in this movie that I'm surprised hasn't been replicated mm. uh, or used as like the, the elderly killer in, in, right. in more movies. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the other thing is like Sheila, Quee Sheila Keith is a force of nature. Like she gives such a great performance from the little, you know, the pity, poor me, poor me. I'm all alone here to like when she's doing the, the tarot readings, you just see kind of the sinister quality sneaking in. And by the end, like she's just a raving lunatic with, you know, her eyes uh, bugged out and her hair, <laughs> hair looking very much like it is on the poster. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful performance. But I think also it shows us uh, it shows us something we haven't seen uh, in in this kind of British horror, at least not to this uh, this extent. You know, there had been other kind of like gory type films, but like the idea of somebody who drills into their victims' skulls in order to get their brains is kind of like, ugh. And 
the idea that Jackie was playing along and like bringing bringing packages, I'm kind of like that seems like an elaborate scheme for her to bring these packages out. It's like, well, Dad can't go and get meat from the butcher and and say that it's you know whatever human. I, I mean, it's 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 a curious um, it's a curious plot device. I don't mind it because it adds to the mystery. Uh, but yeah, the fact that she's like, you know, finding brain, getting brains from the butcher and bringing them out to her mom. Well, also that <clears throat> is another kind of psycho two connection because Norman Bates, uh, that movie opens up, he's been released because he is completely cured according to Robert Loggia. And in this film, we're meant to believe that the, that the elderly couple had completely fooled the people at the institution to, in order to get out. But then that the, the Edmund and, Jackie were going to the length of getting these brains, sending them to the mom saying, Oh, these are human brains. So you can, yeah. you know, we, as long as you don't start killing people again, we will we'll give uh, you all the brains. You need. Right. But that is the exact, uh, that's the evidence that they should have gone right back to the institution and say, Hey, mom still wants brains. Everybody. I was thinking right. about like Norman Bates and his doctor saying, yeah, you just got out of an institution for murdering, a number of people and your mother. Uh, I'm going to put you right back in the house where it all happened. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and that, I mean, it is. Um, it's troubling that uh, that Edmund chooses Dorothy over the you know the good of society. Chooses her over his own daughter. I mean, we never find out what happened to his previous wife. You know, mm -hmm. Jackie's mom. We don't know what's going on there. But, you know, like this is this uh, Debbie is the union of uh, Edmund and Dorothy. And in in some ways, it's kind of like this is the family, you know, like Jackie has become an outsider. Did I miss this part of the backstory, but do we know if Jackie went to live with the mother or is just like the, the she was out of the picture somehow after her net Edmund and her natural mother split up? Well, no, I, I get I get the sense that Jackie, you know, like after Edmund married Dorothy, that Jackie was, you know, living with them until they got put away. I don't know what happened to Jackie when they got put away. Like, it doesn't seem like she was old enough to be out on her own. Uh, again, with this backstory idea, I want a prequel involving <laughs> Debbie at the nunnery. And yeah. I also want a prequel showing, I think, what happened to Jackie's mom was Dorothy. Yeah, sure. Right. right. <laughs> Dorothy decided she needed to be, she needed somebody who would cover up for her. And Edmund was just the guy. Yeah, man. Um, there was something else I wanted to mention. Uh, oh, it, as much as I love the, the filmmaking of this, of this movie, and as much as I uh, appreciated, uh, as I mentioned, the, the attractiveness of our Debbie, our, our psycho Debbie character, there was an uncomfortable very awkward zoom. Did you catch this? It's the scene where I think it was Jackie discovered the blood on, on Debbie's uh, jeans jacket. Mm -hmm. And Debbie walks into the room. Jackie's kind of in the foreground with the jacket. And as Debbie walks in, the camera zooms onto Debbie's chest and then quickly goes up. Like <laughs> it's almost literally an eyes up here, guys. Zoom. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but I will uh, ever forward. Yeah, I I went back and I rewound it because I'm like, am I 
was I looking away and I imagined something, but no, it, it actually happened. <laughs> well, what you're talking about um, earlier with the idea of like the parallel lives of Dorothy and Debbie, I mean, both of these characters have secret lives. You know, Debbie is uh, running around at night. Jackie has no idea where she is, what she's up to. Same thing with uh, Dorothy. Like she's doing all sorts of things that Edmund is unaware of. Uh, it's an interesting kind of, again, it's a smart, smart little screenplay. It really is. And I also like that um, the the relationship between, uh, oh, I'm uh, Graham. I had to look his name up again because I keep forgetting. I keep calling him the shrink. But the relationship between Graham and Jackie is great because I think that's another thing that uh, starts out sort of Hellraiser-ish with this dinner party with these two people kind of meeting each other very awkwardly over, you know, just banter. And there's kind of some sexual tension there. But they start getting together. They're interested in each other. But as Graham comes to find out what Jackie has been doing or in how she's involved with her parents, he becomes very concerned. He's like, that's not what you do in that situation. Right. <laughs> well, he also, he also completely oversteps his boundaries in all regards. It's like, I was like, wait, you don't just go to somebody's sister's house and start like psychoanalyzing them and then telling, you know, telling the, the sister what she what she needs and you know it's like i'm just like wow you are you are way across the line my friend oh yeah you should have had his license taken away immediately yeah. um and i think at the end when he goes out to the cottage to try and get some you know intel he's way underestimating yeah because at this point did he know like again i watched the movie for the first time this morning so i can't remember all of the details but did he know the history of the parents or did he suspect yes. or he's okay. Yeah, why? He doesn't know that he doesn't know. Huh? Why what? Okay. Now finish your thought. <laughs> uh, well, I, I don't think anybody, I don't think he or Jackie know that there are murders occurring yet. Um, but he does know that this big elaborate ruse has been going on. Right. My question is why if you, suspect that there is something strange going on with a couple who had served 15 years in a mental institution for killing six people. Right. Would you ever go out to their house, let alone at night alone, well, but <laughs> and I try think, and get the better of them? <laughs> no, sure. Sure. It's, it's ill-advised for sure, but I don't think he recognizes, nor does Jackie, you know, that, uh, she has begun to slip. Uh, he, he's, he's, he, Jackie would very much like to, you know, move forward. She senses, this is interesting also, is that earlier in the movie, uh, Edmund actually kind of turns on Jackie. You know, she stands up to her mom and says, you know, you can't be doing this anymore. And you said you were, you said you were done. And is this what you're trying to do? And Edmund like goes, stop it, Jackie, stop it. You know, and it's like, it's clear that like they are, it's Dorothy and Edmund against Jackie and that the alliances are not Jackie and her father against, you know, the, the psychopathic murderer. And that's a nice also bit of foreshadowing, you know, uh, leading up right. to, to the very end, because yeah, again, I was just so hopeful that Jackie would be saved at the, at the zero hour, but then it just ends with this close up that goes into like the negative print of oh, Edmund's face. Yeah. It's, it's so like it's it's a getter. I I don't know. I'm I'm gonna have to think about this in my pantheon of classic horror movie endings. 
Well, what's interesting is that this is the same year as uh, Texas Chainsaw. You know, so it's like, you know, the, the tide was certainly turning. We were starting to see some real, real rough, rough stuff uh, coming at you. But this is like, what if Sally never made it past the dinner table? I mean, she right. at least got got away. She was horribly scarred and all of her friends are dead. Right. But in this one, like the evil is just going to go on until someone outside the family stops it. The one person who understood and could have made a difference is now dead. Well, what's funny is, I mean, like even Dorothy and Debbie, like say flat out, we have to finish, we have to close all the loose ends. You know, we have to kill Jackie. And, and it's like, uh, and you, I wonder if maybe that's how Edmund gets the the smack across the face um, that he's exhibiting at the end. Because he realizes that they're never going to stop. <laughs> yeah, because he, he, because he dared say, well, maybe we don't have to kill her. And they went smack, go to your room. Right. And just the idea of like, if they really wanted to do that, they could have just, you know, slit her throat as she walked through the door or whatever. But you can tell they take some excitement like, oh, this is I've missed this. I've been I've been locked up too long and I'm sure spreading the family business with my daughter. This is yeah. this is a bonding exercise. They're, they're so cheerful in it that it's just it's ghastly. Well, Ugh. our our uh, actress, Deborah Fairfax, who plays Jackie, I, I just think she's really just a lovely, appealing presence. Uh, she never did much beyond this, nor did Kim Butcher, for that matter. Uh, I was looking up to see if any, anything of note that they had done, and this seems to be kind of the high point of their careers. That's a damn shame, because we've talked about a number of movies where I watch and I see these great leads, you know, men, women, you know, kids, whatever, I think, oh, these are these are people I'd like to follow, and sometimes just, there's nothing more to follow after this. Right. I, uh, with the, um, with, my gosh, Jackie, mm -hmm. what's what was the actress's name? I, I'm Deborah, terrible. Deborah, Deborah Fairfax. Deborah Fairfax. I kept thinking that she looked almost exactly like uh, Felicity Jones. She was the, the modern oh, actress sure. who was in Star Wars: Rogue One and The Theory of Everything, um, and then. Graham looked like a cross between Nathan Fielder and Andrew Garfield. I don't know if that means anything to you, but look them up after the show and you'll see. I don't know Nathan Fielder, but I can see the Andrew Garfield. Look up Nathan Fielder and then imagine those two like <laughs> superimposed like their love child. But um, yeah, so any, I guess, anything we haven't covered that you want to talk about or any kind of final thoughts on on Frightmare? Uh, the, the part... I'd say the thing that's always been scariest to me is Debbie. Like she's more terrifying to me than an old lady with a drill because she's so purely like a thrill kill kind of thing where she's, she's just, she gets off on the violence and she's smart enough to get away with it by saying who me, I'm just a kid. I would never do anything like that. Like, like she she's terrifying to me and I find her just really kind of off putting at how nasty she is and entitled and, you know, obnoxious, pushing it back against her sister, her caretaker. You know, there's all sorts of things that just make me not like her. And she wins at the end. You know, that's that's what's really kind of uh, unnerving. Here's the thing. It, I'm writing a fan fiction alternate timeline of the movies. Uh, this is the prequel or a prequel story in the clockwork orange universe because mm. that took place in the future of like youth run amok i think that debbie and dorothy eventually get captured and all of their horrors are revealed and 
Debbie's interviews are splashed across psychology today and all this stuff about, you know, the troubled youth and what are we going to do about it? And they decide, well, we're going to develop the Ludovico technique <laughs> um, inspired by Debbie and, and eventually Alex. Um, yeah, this is a, I hate to call it a really special movie, but it, it really is. It's got a place in my heart and, um, I, I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, although I do got to say, I do got to say what's wrong with me. You do got to um, say. One of the other disturbing murders in this film, um, it's not just that the that these people who are somewhat innocent, like the barman, even the boyfriend, even though he's kind of like a retrobate, reprobate, yeah. he doesn't deserve what he gets, right. which is this vicious multiple stabbings through the eye and the face with a dual-headed pitchfork, courtesy of Dorothy. And you see him begging, and he's just like helpless and confused because much like debbie at the very end of the picture calling out for her father he's like why isn't my girlfriend helping me who is this strange woman who's attacking me and why are you standing there laughing yeah well and that's just it like she's getting off on it like she has no moral code at all like she has no attempt like alex was just a mean to an end you know yeah somebody who could ride her around <laughs> indeed well ac thanks for for taking this ride with me uh, beyond Hammerland. Uh, we're coming back next month to to close out 2023. I can't believe it with Witchfinder General. Now, um, I feel like Frightmare is kind of the high the high point of 2023 for me with this series, or at least sure. one of them. Uh, am I going to go higher next month, or is it? Because I feel well, like anything after this can only be disappointing. I was just going to say. I mean, I haven't batted. I, I don't have a, a perfect batting average with this year's lineup. Um, because <laughs> there have been some that you're kind of like, yay, and there's some kind of like, this is I, not for me. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know where Witchfinder General is going to land for you. I'm really happy that you uh, that you liked Frightmare because that was one that uh, I was I was kind of on the fence. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe I should. I want to program some Pete Walker, uh, but again, not knowing how it would land. Uh, but I watched it this morning. I'm like, I would like to think Ian enjoys this more than Blood on Satan's Claw. So uh, fingers crossed for uh witchfinder general it will we will begin as we or will end as we began with vincent price in the lead role uh but playing a very atypical price uh performance so i think you'll enjoy Ooh. it i i'm excited well thank you very much again for this journey beyond hammerland with um frightmare and uh yeah folks please check out uh ac stuff at horror 101 with dr ac uh on his website and also on youtube and um, yeah, like and subscribe and all that good stuff. And like and subscribe to the Kicking the Seat YouTube channel if you like what we do here. And join us back here next month as we, well, two things. We got to finish up our journey beyond Hammerland and then figure out where we're going next year. Exactly. Got to get out the Atlas. Yeah. How many directions can we go? We've uh, returned. We've gone beyond. <laughs> beneath beneath Hammerland. There you go. Beneath the Valley of Hammerland. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thank you very much. Take care. And I'll catch you later. Catch you later. Bye.